Welcome to the Masters of Comic Books podcast, where we're two fanboys with all the power. I'm your player one, Cole L. And I'm your player two, Dayspring. Welcome to another episode of Masters of Comic Books, where we're going to talk about comic books. I'm glad we live up to that name. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about comic books a lot. It's almost like we eat and breathe them. Is that the expression? I don't know what the expression is. Eat, drink, breathe, <laughs> consume. Okay. Speaking of drinking, I just got back from Austin. I was there for a couple of days and I was by the pool drinking a lot and reading Batman Year 100 by Paul Pope. You've been talking about Paul Pope's work for like the last two weeks and it it's not annoying. I like love your fanboying over here. <laughs> I am obsessed. And for folks at home, here's some behind the scenes tidbits. We are talking to Mr. Pope about getting him on the podcast. It's not going to be for a while because he's very busy with doing Battling Boy 2, which I'm so excited for, and other really big projects. But we wanted to talk to him because he's doing a couple of covers for DC for, for Batman in July. And he was here like, no, let's talk in the fall. I'm going to have a lot of good stuff. So that's why I'm obsessed with Paul Pope again all of a sudden. Well, you love Battle Kids so much, don't you? Mm. Well, Battle Boy really got Battle me. Boy, sorry. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not too familiar with Pope's work because um, I know I, I only know he did uh, Batman Year 100, um, but that's all I know. Yeah, he his work got me through some pretty rough times, and I revisited Battling Boy during the pandemic and then when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. And it's just such a really great title, and it's really fun. I don't want to spoil it because I want you to read it. I think you would really like it. And it, the last time I read it, again, like two weeks two weeks ago, I was like, oh, Cole's going to love this, like <laughs> hands down. Like, this is such a Cole L book. <laughs> it is a Cole L-ish book of all Cole L-ish books. Like, Paul Pope, he was like, I'm going to write this book for Cole L. <laughs> I don't even know who that is yet. <laughs> He's really, who the fuck is Cole L? He, he, like, had, he like had a dream. And I like came there for him. <laughs> well, you know what? Battling Boy on the cover. I don't have the book here. I think it's in my bedroom. He does kind of look like you on it. If you had bleach blonde hair. Oh, wait, you have had bleach blonde hair before. Like five. No, not five. Ooh, <laughs> four years ago, I think, actually. Three Shut or four up. years. I was like, when we first met, you had bleach blonde hair. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, weren't we both bleach blonde at the same time? No, that was you. That was only you. <laughs> God, I miss that phase of my life. Everyone was like, you're such a Christian Frost. I was like, yeah, I am. Didn't you do a little cosplay for that too? I did. I did. I did with Alicia from the ex-wife who we love. And, uh, yes. and our perpetual player three, Michelle Waffle Otero, who we also love very much. Yeah. She became a pretty permanent member for Power of X-Men recently, didn't she? Yeah, she's going to be a re reoccurring guest host just because we love her so much. We love her vibe. And she brings such a like powerful, interesting perspective on all things. And we, we are in the middle of pitching San Diego Comic-Con, a very fun panel. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I have high hopes for you guys. You guys are I, awesome. I would love... Are you coming to San Diego Comic-Con? Well... No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say yes. Well, here's the thing. You can't apply for tickets because they're honoring the 2020 tickets. So I think okay. this is a, a more scaled down San Diego Comic-Con. But next year, 
I think you and I should plan something so we can get tickets. And I don't have tickets, but the only way we can get tickets, Michelle and I were brainstorming, is if we apply for a panel. And, and we were able to pull together a really interesting panel. I think, didn't we, we apply for a panel like a year ago or uh, last semester or something like back in September. Okay. First of all, I love how you're like last semester. I'm like, wait, how do semesters work? <laughs> Sorry. I'm still in college. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I don't remember semesters. I remember quarters. I don't know if you had that in high school. Like I had that had, in high schools. Yeah. Yeah. We had quarters. So I always still reevaluate everything by quarters. No. Um, yeah. We That's did. how my mom does things. Cause she's an elementary school teacher. I, first of all, I want to meet your mom. That's a sidebar. She looks oh, so Oh, she's fabulous. the sweet, she's the sweetest person you'll ever meet. Shout out to your mom, because I'm sure she's listening to this. You've said before she listens. Oh, she listens every week. Oh my gosh. We should have her on the podcast. I would <laughs> die. Can we do that, like, it, it, does she drink martinis? Um, She doesn't drink at all, because if she did, she'd be tipsy within one drink. <laughs> one sip. <laughs> I was like, let's have mom and happy hour. I would love Hey, that. Mother's Day is coming up. We could do like a Mother's Day special. Oh, why don't we give her something to read? <laughs> like a, a mother focused, um, like a Mother's Day focused issue. <laughs> I won't tell her until she listens to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> But yeah, no, we did apply for panels last year, but it was so hard because of the pandemic and everything. And I think, you know, well, I, we're, we're, we were still sort of establishing kind of what we were doing as well. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really have a, like a focus. I just knew we wanted to do a panel and we we're throwing things out there. But I think you've done such a tremendous job generating our visibility on social media that I think we do have a good vibe and sort of a direction with what we're doing these days. Yeah, I I don't know what's happened, but just lately there's been some nice engagement. I would love for that to continue because I just, I love geeking out about comic books and I love hearing everybody else's opinion. Hell, what was it? Just a few days ago, I was like, yeah, I love Jason Aaron's Avengers and people went off. <laughs> it was kind of funny, actually. Well, I had like Warline and um, uh, someone from uh, Power of X-Men book club. Metal Mac, um, man. Yeah, they were uh, messaging me saying they kept getting messages about um, how could I enjoy this book? It was funny. Well, I mean, I have to tell you, I know what's going on with our social media and the huge spike in engagement. You just have a wonderful eye for everything you're posting. I mean, that's just fact. Well, and I love I am doing my best too to uh, show off creators work as well, because I think trying to... Um, display like what creators have done and getting their names out there is some of the best things to do, especially for comic creators. Speaking of comic creators and spotlights you've done on the, on the Instagram, I know someone we have in common that we both love is Tom Taylor. And mm -hmm. I don't know if I told you, no, I have told you this on, on DMs. I have been binging Nightwing by Tom Taylor. Yeah. He Nightwing's great. So good. And I think we were telling this to Jed McKay. Oh, to plug that amazing interview. You know, we kind of have to. That was the last episode we did. Jed was nice. He was, Jed was so great. But Tom Taylor has that Jed McKay writing style, which is you just want more. As you read, you're just like, I, I need to know what happens in the next issue. And I think what's really good with both of them is that they, I feel like they, they do really good character work and they understand who they're writing and they have a great voice for everyone, allowing for great character growth and sweet moments and still able to add in some like witty banter in there here and there. 
Well, you know what Jed said that I thought was really interesting because we we love talking about form and you know inspiration and writing style, but he mentioned something that I've never heard another writer say, which is I'm really aware of how expensive comic books are. I, I want to make that. sure. Mm-hmm. I know because it's so. How many times have you picked up an issue of something? You're like, okay, well, this was kind of pointless. You know what I mean? But yeah. I don't feel with a Jed McKay issue, and I, I am a new Moon Knight stan. <laughs> I, I don't. So was my brother. I had my brother binge the holy hell out of that. And he was yeah. like, how have I not been reading this? <laughs> because it's just so good. Listen, the art is beautiful. Let, let, mm-hmm. Let's give credit to the artist. Oh, Alessandro and Rochelle do such a fantastic job. I've never seen Moon Knight look so spectacular. Granted, Greg Smallwood stuff and Delcon Shavy's stuff is great as well. But like, it's one of the best looking books out there. And I think this is like only Alessandro's only book he's doing, which good. I hope. Well, oh. like, I'm meaning like, I wish he, I'm surprised because his artwork is so good. Well, yeah, I mean, and also like we always want artists to have multiple jobs going on at the same time. And we know how laborious and tedious it is to just do one issue. I think a lot of people forget doing like one issue of a comic can take up to like 30 days. Oh, yeah. If they're lucky. So the fact that he's just focused on this book, that's great because we're getting a beautiful book, but I hope he has more side projects. Yeah. But Jed's writing is just so good. And I love that. I love that he's aware of you need to give the reader a value for their buck because it is, I mean, it's quality writing and it's also moving the story along. And that's a very rare trait. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, I, there are some that love to do like the long form storytelling and that's totally fine too. But sometimes when, I mean, like he said, comic books are expensive. They're three ninety nine at this point. And like number one issues are four ninety nine up to five ninety nine, And then before you know it, you get like giant one shots that are like seven ninety nine, And so it, it can be kind of rough to spend weekly on the stuff and which leads to tons of comics and it being like pirated and stuff. And then eventually leads to creators not getting paid and whatnot or recognition and whatnot. That's and bullshit. it's, it sucks. Yeah. I remember when comics were shifting from one ninety nine to two ninety nine, and the outcry <laughs> that was in, in the comic book community at the time, which was just like message boards and stuff like that. But when was loved- that? My, I'm, just, I'm just curious. 199, when it shifted from 199 to 299, it was probably in the early 2000s. And I used to go on message boards like the Foosh. They had like the bar with no name where you could talk about stuff like that. And then also <laughs> there was also a, a Jean Grey message board called Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> and I was obnoxious on it. I, I was truly obnoxious on it. But well, I, now the three ninety nine split been for like last ten years, probably. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm pretty close it, to it. It has, been. and DC even like released a ad where they're like DC Comics firmly staying at two ninety nine when they were shifting to three ninety nine or whatever the the yeah. price difference was. I was like, okay, DC. Like even then, we knew it wasn't going to happen. But yeah, I mean, listen, the comic book community has evolved so much over the years, and I love the forum we have right now and like the way we sort of communicate because. I feel like right now everyone is so excited for Dr. Strange. That's a great thing too. And it sort of happened like ever since I feel like WandaVision kind of came out is now that these TV shows are out, there's a lot of people kind of just watching them and probably end up going to the comic books too, which I think is really cool. 
Well, there's this school of thought right now that it's kind of like, it kind of scares me, but at the same time, I understand why it's beneficial, which is the comic books are just like pamphlets to the movies, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the, that's kind of a hard thing to look at too. I mean, I, it's been, I'm kind of like, you know, like, I don't know how to describe it because like I have a lot of feels on how because I love the MCU, but I have a huge passion for comics as well. And it kind of sucks, especially within like the Marvel realm, how the movies influence the comics so much. And sometimes it's for worse, you know? Yeah, I here here's my feelings for on, on it. I love the MCU and I love the original source material, which is the comic books. I'm okay. Like I understand from a branding perspective, you need, if you want comic books to be successful, you just need to bring an influx of readers. Mm-hmm. And I'm there, you know, you and I in the grand scheme of things are probably in the minority of people who would read comics weekly, who will go to the comic book store or comiXology and get those issues and make sure we're up to date and start a podcast to talk about comics. What was it? Eat, breathe, drink comics. Consume, consume. Any sort of <laughs> so dream sleep. <laughs> so you know you do have to get the, those those blockbuster you know mass audiences to come to the comics. So you know if someone will pick up a comic because they really love Guardians of the Galaxy and they sort of want to see that like James Gunn style in the books, I'm okay if like Bendis leans towards being a little bit zanier. But I really do think comics should do what they've always done best. And I don't think the focus should be lost on this is tell great stories in a comic book medium because 10 years from now, the MCU will be drawing on these stories. Yeah. And I think civil war is civil war two is a good example of something that we did not need. And they were trying to cash in on something and it didn't like, I would have rather them have just moved on to another store, like another form of storytelling or like, just like re-release the book or something you know like they did the same thing when infinity war came out in 2018 they had jerry duggan write uh infinity wars and i don't know if that was original plan but there was an event called infinity wars and probably to get fans like hey there's an event almost called like infinity war yet it has nothing to do with the movie but i bet you'll buy our title because it has the same title Yeah. And I just feel like those kind of like, I'm curious how I haven't looked at comic book numbers in a while. I, what ships and what eventually gets, you know, in the hands of people, but I I'm curious if, if that kind of transparency in your marketing plan actually does pay off on a corporate Mm -hmm. level. I don't, I don't remember how infinity. Maybe at first. I don't know. I don't think I know critically it, it was, pretty mixed but i don't think the sales were good it might have started off well because something like let's say batman beyond the white knight let's say something like the krakoan x-men those titles debut they're fresh new stories they are number one their shipping numbers are insane Mm -hmm. but then what what happens when you do something like civil war 2 i think i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with, with with what you said i think the first issue was really good but then I think the, the subsequent issues go down, 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 and then they're not actually that good. And I didn't I like, think there was delays for Civil War II as well. Oh, yeah, there was. I mean, listen, it's, welcome to the community. <laughs> for those who don't uh, know, it's delays in comic books. Man, th- those are br- they've gotten so much better about delays. So. What's, it's gotten 
the pandemic really threw things off though. Wasn't there like a paper shortage recently too? That, <laughs> that paper shortage has been around though. I bet I, I used to work in book publishing for like 10 years. That paper shortage has been around since like the economic, like, real estate crash of 2008 so oh, so it's it's never gone away it's just it, been we just stopped talking about it we just stopped talking <laughs> about it but like yeah the shift to digital has caused a lot of like paper factories to like close down so there's mm-hmm. only i can't speak to the comic book you know industries but for book publishing there's only like one or two paper presses yeah. that are still around and they 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 have all of these books that they have to print so paper shortage um but you know, I, I like what you said, and I want to circle back on it because when WandaVision was coming out, they re-released the Vision Scarlet Witch series with the Alex Ross cover. Mm-hmm. And that was sold out immediately, and they had to do like a second printing. That, I think, is where the real money is with these things. Like, if you're going to do it, That's what I think they should do, yeah. Like, re-release the material that is influenced from the movies, you know? And I think they've gotten a little bit better with that because... I think I remember with Moon Knight coming out, um, there was a complete collection of Lemire and Smallwood's run recently, recent that came out just like a month or two prior before this start, before this started, because I actually bought that. Um, Bendis's and Malieve's um, Moon Knight also came out as a complete collection. There was another Moon Knight omnibus, so maybe they're kind of doing, yeah, they're, they're kind of like starting to do that sort of thing because I feel like they did that with something else. I feel like it's not that I feel like they don't do it, but to your point, I would rather them invest the time and effort into doing a really nice omnibus, do maybe an original release with some like extras, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. a new cover. I have to tell you something as an X-Men fan, I I'm going through the internet trying to find like original trades. I hate when they do re-releases that are cheap, like the milestone covers for like the X-Men. I think they're the most hideous covers ever. I hate them so much. I rather them just do like retro reprintings. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. Because I, I feel yeah. like that would build off more of the nostalgia feel to it and have people buy it more. Speaking of nostalgia, the Thor trailer. Oh yeah, Thor trailer is great. <laughs> It was much shorter than I was expecting. Okay, so I'm so confused by 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 their marketing strategy here. And this is something we saw with like No Way Home. Like Sony was a mess with the marketing. Well, and- that's the problem with that one was there was like a million leaks and they were already, they were shooting themselves in the foot. And then you had the pandemic. They're like, uh, we have no idea what to do. So everything was like totally like... Yeah, because they released a trailer because it was leaked online the day before. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like we talked about that. Like that was so like someone at Sony was like, fuck, we need to put this out. And by the way, we're going to I'm going to circle back on the on Spider-Man No Way Home. But to talk about like Doctor Strange, though, I feel like the marketing campaign for that has been everywhere and trailers have been around for a good long time. Thor is coming out in like two, three months. And they July. July, they just dropped their teaser in April. That's insane. But like that mirrors the Spider-Man strategy that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen too many leaks for Thor, to be honest with you. The toys leaked, but I think that's about it. Yeah, the toys did leak, but that's like that's that happens, unfortunately. All the time. Because I think well, because you gotta think about you have to these toys get made, then you gotta ship them to other 
stores and stuff. And I mean, and when they probably do get leaked, it's no one. I mean, it's out of basically Disney and Marvel's hands at that point. Yeah. And, and Hasbro, you know, they, they have to plan these figures like mm-hmm. a year in advance. I think they said on the recent live stream, it takes about like 12 to 18 months. That's yeah. why we haven't seen, they didn't even know that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were going to be in no way home. So they didn't have figures ready for them. So now they're only doing it now, but to your point about this with Thor, they have to do the designs, they have to make the figures, and then the figures start shipping from the factories to, you know, across the country. So there's no perfect science with that. You know, they just know we need these around May or July. Please make sure those figures are out. So, you know, it, it, those leaks will happen. But with Thor, though, I, I mean... They're, it, the, the marketing strategy is very similar to No Way Home in which the story is very coy right now, but they just dropped the teaser. And it makes me think that this is going to be a bigger movie than we're probably thinking. Yeah, I, I'm very curious of, yeah, because like you said, their marketing strategy is very interesting considering this movie comes out in literally just two months or three months, sorry. And I don't because because normally what you do with a movie marketing strategy is you will release a trailer like eight months ahead of time just so you mm-hmm. can start getting people just like then, a nice, nice little yeah. teaser. And then you do a, a, a story trailer and then a zillion TV spots and then a final trailer before the movie comes out. That's typically typically what how mm-hmm. you do how you do these things. And yeah. I think Dr. Strange has followed that to the T. Yeah, because but- didn't the first trailer come out during the Super Bowl in February? Yeah, and even before that, there was oh, there was uh, there was something at No Way Home. That's yeah, and you know, I, which I was expecting that too. Sorry to interrupt you, but I thought they were going to do a trailer for Doctor Strange, like during Doctor Strange or something. But and then and then I got thinking, I'm like, that's not a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> I was confused because everyone was like, just wait for the post credits in No Way Home, and I was like, ooh, Wanda, you know, and and it, it ended up being a trailer which i was very happy with but yeah i kind of glad they did that too oh so glad and we know dr strange has done a lot of reshoots but anyways thor i'm so excited for uh, speaking of when i was saying like oh just speaking of nostalgia it was because of him running in the intro we see him in his classic thor costume okay i didn't know where you're going (laughs) i thought (laughs) sweet child of mine (laughs) (laughs) sorry i have a nostalgia podcast um, for a class and so i've been talking about a lot of 80s lately so that's why my mind went to sweet child of mine well we connected because we love that 80s vibe that like vape wave vibe. oh yeah just listen to our intro <laughs> i know it's such a great intro you're such a wonderful like sound engineer thank you i played three keys on a keyboard <laughs> <laughs> i assure you i couldn't even do that but with spider-man no way home fun fact they he, they got like hang on I have the numbers here they got 355 million views in 24 hours mm. and Thor got 209 million views in 24 hours putting it on the top 10 list of most viewed trailers within 24 hours and to to give some more context Endgame got 289 million views so whatever marketing strategy they're doing for Thor is working. I think it's kind of smart too, because like they're kind of just like teasing the living hell out of Doctor Strange and we're just like, yeah, Thor's coming out too, but we're not worried about it. 
<laughs> we know you'll watch it. Tiger Rotiti is like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love this. I'm super excited for it. I thought I thought Jane Foster's kind of tease at the end was a little lackluster. I would have liked to have seen like lightning coming down in her, like a little bit more. Rah! But she still mm-hmm. looked great. I thought Natalie Portman looked wonderful. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is based off of the Jason Aaron run. Natalie Portman has always had like some kind of like weird contention with like being in a superhero franchise. But I'm sure Kevin Feige was like, listen, you're going to come back as Jane Foster. You're going to be Thor and you'll be dying of cancer. And you know, her, her, her Oscar eyes just like widen. <laughs> and she's like, yes, yes. Give me this role. Yeah, I'm extremely excited for this. I love Jane Foster. I do. I really, really do. I love the character very much. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice to see these legacy characters are already coming into the MCU. Because, I mean, you had uh, Sam Wilson become Captain America. You had... Is there any more after that, actually? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. We have Sam Wilson. Uh, Wong is now the Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I, I had like a total brain fart. No, <laughs> but... But I think we have, I mean, I, oh, Miss um, uh, Marvel, Miss Marvel, even though, but again, it's a little, it's a little hard to like talk about it because Carol Danvers was never Ms. Marvel in the MCU. True, but like she took inspiration from her yeah. and stuff. Oh, and then we have She-Hulk coming in as well. <sighs> so excited for She-Hulk. I for, we have a lot of stuff coming out. Oh, is that the John Byrne run? It is so bad. Folks at home, I am holding up the John Byrne run of She-Hulk. I just bought one of the trades. It is so bad, but the art is so beautiful. Like the first issue, like She-Hulk. What's so bad about it? I'm very It's curious. just not very. First of all, okay, I will say I don't is think. Is it dated? It's, it's dated. I don't think the storytelling is particularly good or interesting. Like the first issue has She-Hulk like captured by a circus and they turn her into, you know, like a person works at in a circus. Yeah. But like the covers are also like extremely problematic. Like she's like wearing no clothes and like breaking ex- the first. Oof. Yeah. yeah so they're just extremely explicit. Listen, for me, the epitome of what is a really good She-Hulk comic comic is the Charles Soul. Charles Soul. Yeah. 100%. Hands down. I, I love Soul. If you want to read a definitive She Hulk run, read that one by Charles Soul. And oof. Oh, man. I'm so, I'm really mad at myself. I can't remember the artist's name. I think it's like Javier Polito or something like that. Hang on. I got to look it up. Right now. Charles Soul, She Hulk. I should, I, I don't have any. God, what? Uh, Polito. Yeah, you're right. It's a really, really good book. It And it focuses more on like her being a lawyer and stuff. And there's a really cool arc with her and Matt Murdock and Captain America. Oh, it's so good, man. And Hellcat is like her paralegal. <laughs> that I loved, yeah. I fucking love Patsy Walker. That was a great follow up to, to Patsy Walker, who had a moment in Marvel Divas and Heralds, but then sort of kind of like was like, swept under the carpet and now is back and engaged to tony stark which in iron man she heard well it's i'm loving that run i i i've been enjoying it it's been uh how i've mentioned like long form storytelling this is pretty close to it christopher campbell's uh writing it isn't too bad it reminds me a lot of uh of tom king's writing if you're familiar with some of his stuff Um, it's very long form and like this Korvac saga he's been doing has been really stretched to the max, but it's been really good. And Kafu has been delivering some spectacular art with it too. But yeah, I'm, he Campbell loves Patsy Walker though. You can totally tell. <laughs> oh yeah. And Patsy Walker is one of those 
one of those characters that just I feel is mismanaged and sort of like my main grievance with Kitty Pride is it's whatever the writer wants her to be, mm-hmm. you know, is sort of like how they approach her instead of having an idea, like a definitive idea of who the character is. Patsy Walker, I loved her, her series, her mini series, her one shots. I've always been a fan. I, I feel we got a good perspective on the character in Marvel Divas, and then that sort of went out the window. So I agree with you. I've read the issues with her in it. I'm happy. I think Tom King, by the way, is a good comp for that, which sidebar, have we ever talked about how much I love Mr. Miracle? Oh, Mr. Miracle's great. I think we actually talked about that when we first like actually started um, going back and forth in the DMs. <laughs> and I was like, hey, have you ever read Mr. Miracle? And you're like, Cole. <laughs> I love Mr. Miracle. I would go to say that Mr. Miracle is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. Well, and he also did the vision mini, which everyone was like, Oh, WandaVision is so inspired by the vision mini. It is not inspired by the vision mini at all. I mean, yes, you have Sparky or, or okay. Man. There is some aspects to it. Yes, of course. Influence like any other MCU property, but, but go no. read the, the vision mini before you start saying that it's, it's inspired, you know, inspired one. Well, because it's more about vision. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Wanda's only in like one issue. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we digress. Yeah. Digress. Oh, I was just going to say, let's just stop talking about comic books so we can start talking about more other comic books. Because, man, we our discussion. How long are we talking? Half an hour? We haven't talked about the, talki- the topic we're here for. <laughs> Which is Moon Knight episodes three and four. Oh, we're doing three and four. Wait, what are we doing? I thought we were just doing four. But oh, I, yeah. Oh. We can, well, we, we can mention three and four together. I, well, I was just going to do a quick recap with three. God, I'm glad I don't have like 10 pages of notes for episode three. I have seven pages for episode four. So you have seven pages for episode. Okay. I have some screenshots too, but yes. Okay. All right. All right. Let's, well, let's get into it then. I love this episode. (laughs) Okay. So I wasn't wild about episode three as much. Honest. Okay. Episode three had some good action. Yes. Um, It's about it. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> I can't remember too much about it because I have so many feels on episode four. Okay. Well, first of all, so when I saw episode three, I went on like a YouTube binge for May Kalamawi, who mm-hmm. plays Lila. I'm obsessed with her. She said the the best things on interviews. She said she like cried when she got the role for Moon Knight. She had just finished watching all the MCU movies. She was just so incredibly smart and passionate and lovely. But she said something about Moon Knight that kind of framed the series for me and made me kind of be like, okay, let me go a little easier on it. She was here like, it's it's Fight Club meets Indiana Jones. And I was (laughs) like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. And then I was looking at like episode three, like who was doing it and I, I believe the guy who is the the showrunner for X-Men 97, Bo De Mayo, actually mm. was one of the writers for it. So I was like, okay, I can see, I can see some of the, the structure for the writing. But the only thing about episode three that I just wanted to say really briefly, I, it was kind of weird for me when we had that council of the gods. I kind of like that actually. I love it was. It was a smart way to save on CGI to have the gods <laughs> speak through the people. <laughs> I love how you knew that was going to be one of my points. Right <laughs> no, okay, fair. I agree. I agree. Fair. It, although it comes across very like 
CW supernatural ish. Totally CW. I totally see that now. Like like, some of the like Arrowverse DC stuff. Yeah. There was an episode of Supernatural where all of these various deities like converged in this motel but they had like human avatars and bad cg to like represent their but that's fine i think moon knight did it better i I was going to talk more about like the actual mechanics of the scene because when arthur walked in and was like oh are you gonna believe this guy because he talks to himself he doesn't even know who he is and he's accusing me of like these heinous things i thought on a symbolic level cole it was so well done because that shows the stigma that people who are differently abled on a mental front mm-hmm. have to endure with having people come in mm-hmm. and, and sort of discredit them just because they have certain hurdles that they are managing. See, I really like that, too. I liked how they approached that because it's a good representation and a realistic perspective on how some out there in this world have to endure almost every single day and how just some others may look at them, you know, like. It is extremely unfair. And, you know, my sister is differently abled and I know she endures a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen it firsthand and it, and it's extremely frustrating that you're discredited because of whatever you're going through. And it's, and you it's can't. just, and you can't fight back because yeah. blindly believe another party over you just because there's a stigma against you. But that being said, though, this Council of Gods has been around for eons and they can't be like, yeah, we're pretty sure Arthur's pulling a fast one on us. Like, hold up. Like, like, let's examine all the facts here. Like, why don't like I don't know why there wasn't more of a due process. I think. This. I, think I love the, the thing, symbolism, though. I yeah, just want to say that. Yeah. I do love the symbolism. It worked. That's why I think Bo de Mayo is going to do great in X-Men 97. <laughs> but I do think, like, these deities who have been around for eons would just be like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty sure you're trying to resurrect your avatar. Well, and I think here's the other thing, too, is, like, I think they have a lot of history of Khonshu kind of going against the rules and everything. So I maybe that's playing into the part of that whole thing. So I don't know. I will say, though, Oscar Isaac did a really cool job in playing basically three different people that whole scene. <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you. That is one of my favorite things about the series. It's Oscar Isaac, mm-hmm. who is just killing it. And by the way, while, while I was doom scrolling the other night, I came across, you know, his IMDb page. And of course I've known this about him, but to see it all congregate in like one page was like mind blowing for me. He's been apocalypse. Yep. He's Spider-Man 2099. He's in the star Wars franchise. Oh, he's like moon Knight. Like my God, talk about having like, well, and beyond that he's been through, he has some like spectacular movies as well. Like just beyond just like big franchises like that. Like I think like X Machina is another really great, uh, movie my dad's always like watch this and i did <laughs> <laughs> and you're like and it was great it was great yeah he's a fantastic actor yeah phenomenal actor phenomenal he reminds me so much of trisha helfer in battlestar galactica where they can my play... dad's gonna appreciate that you always reference battlestar galactica <laughs> he loves it but but have you ever seen an episode i just remember watching them as a kid so trisha helfer plays multiple versions of six who is one of the cylons 
And every version feels so incredibly different than the other because of Trisha Helfer's acting abilities. And that's what I'm going to say about Oscar Isaac when he's toggling back between Mark and Steven. And it's just so, it's just so believable. He looks so different. Well, yeah. Like when he's Steven, he seems like an entirely different person. It's so cool. Like it's impressive. I don't know how, well, I'm watching it happen, but I don't know how people can do it. <laughs> I can't wait to for the third altar was coming, who was alluded to in that episode three, which mm-hmm. was I have my notes here. Jake. Apparently Jake, this is Jake. I, I'm I don't know. I'm gonna <laughs> well, because in the comics, his third um ID is Jake Lockley, who's like supposed to be even more ruthless than these two. Yeah. He's like he's like a if I remember from the Lemire run, because um, that's the only time I remember seeing Lockley, he's, uh, I think he's like a cabbie driver and he's always looking for trouble. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed. <laughs> well, and he came to, I don't know if this was an Easter egg and I'm going to defer to you, but he came to after Jake took over and he was in a cab. Was that supposed to be like a nod to? I could see that being a nice foreshadow. Like a foreshadow because, and the only reason why I would say something like that is because now looking back on the previous episodes, there was a lot of, you may have pointed this out. There was a lot of like three person imagery everywhere. For it's, you see it throughout the first episode. Yeah. So I, listen, again, we, we live in a post WandaVision world. I think Easter eggs are everywhere. But Oh yeah. But that's the cool thing about these being released weekly is because every time an episode's done, you see like it trending on Twitter or you see people just discussing it constantly on social media. And it's really cool. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that Netflix model of binging is sort of done because it does take a lot out of the out of the experience of watching a television show. If you just binge it in one weekend and then yeah, my brother. Yeah, I remember I think part six of Jojo came out back in January. And I remember my brother telling me that he just binged it and he's so pissed off that he watched it all. <laughs> and he has to wait for like the second part or like the second next 10 episodes of part six. He tells me every day. <laughs> you, you know, my brother's obsessed with Jojo. As yeah. Well. I, oh I, yeah. When we had that special episode with them two on a few months ago, after you left, they talked about Jojo for like an hour. And I was like, okay, I'll just let, I'll let you guys. Why didn't you just hit record? <laughs> just hit record? I totally should have. <laughs> we have a, like an episode for the next week. Like let the brothers hijack. <laughs> yeah, we have a nice little break. <laughs> the little brothers hijack the, the episode. But I'm curious for your seven pages of notes for episode four, The Tomb, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and written by Alex Minihan. And Peter Cameron and Sabir Perzana. Thank you for having those credits. I don't have those on my notes. Um, <clears throat> so, well, just last episode, Stephen lost control. Uh, no, Stephen's in control now, basically. Um, but Kanchu's gone because after them um, moving the sky from last episode, which looked really cool cinematography-wise, makes weird sense. I agree that it happened. It seemed a little too easy in my opinion, but whatever we have to do this in six episodes. Um, (laughs) Okay. But if I was a resident of the MCU and I saw the sky moving backwards after a post snap world, I wouldn't just be staring at the sky. I would be shitting my fucking pants. 
oh yeah you're like oh fuck we're gonna oh fuck <laughs> like, jesus that's it the world is ending again anyways i'm sorry yeah we're all go- we're all it's we're all gonna turn to dust again or maybe you're just in the maybe it's just like in the comics and stuff where people are like um like when you live in new york you know like shit's gonna go down again you know Oh, yeah. Like, do you remember the opening of AVX where Nova is coming through the city and just like crashes into the Chrysler building and it gets destroyed and Spider-Man, you know, what catches everyone, which to, to what you just said seemed a little too easy, but fine. It's Bendis. But one of those... <laughs> one of- <laughs> okay. Mm, but there was... Sorry. I no. do... Oh, okay, okay. I love Bendis's writing. I really do. There are a lot of great stories that he does. I just love crapping on the dude sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's 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 fair. It's fair. But there's a line one of the characters says, that's that, or like the background character says, that's it. I'm moving away from New York. And yeah, to that point. But anyways, yeah. But anyway, so in this, in this episode, I was an issue. I forgot we're talking about TV and not uh comics well kind of about comics um so this episode we see more of grant and isaac continues to play him more as a goof throughout the episode and at first i thought it was a little jarring uh especially because he's been through i mean he was a super goof in the first episode but i feel like isaac has done a good job to the point where it's grown on me a bit and I think it's really working for the show. And I really like how Grant is really relatable and average. Like he's just like the average Joe. And he's like, he's nervous all the time and doesn't know how to uh, act around Layla and stuff. And, and he's a bit silly, but it adds like levity to the show, I think. You know, there was something about this episode. I mean, again, like episode three, which I really did not walk away loving, I this episode sort of brought me back. I think there was a lot of what's the word I'm looking for here. There was a lot of like groundwork done for the characters. And I think that scene with Layla and and Steven in the car where she was here, like, so Mark was just gonna disappear and, and no one wanted to loop me in on that. I think Layla absolutely stole the show in this in this episode. I think she she does a good job because she stands her ground and like she's a very like um what's the right word i i don't want to say like the yeah she's just like she's really firm and like takes authority and stuff and knows what she's doing may kalmawi plays her with such a with such a with such a vulnerability like a strength and a vulnerability kind of like how chris evans did captain america like Mm -hmm. it's hard not to it's a good balance it's a good balance and i think that's what's and and by the way oscar isaac not to take that away from him either does the same exact thing Mm -hmm. but there's something about may's performance that's just you know captivating and and i really i really think there was a lot done here that that just makes me want like, I'm curious. The only thing that I I walked away from was why didn't they open up that other tomb? You know, when they were at the end, I mean, yeah, and probably to keep on guessing, but to, I want to go back to Isaac real quick. Um, cause of his, uh, way, how was he, he, how he played Grant and I can't talk. Um, I love how they wrote him to be incredibly useful in this episode. Because he was, he had he has vast knowledge of Egyptian lore, and I love his excitement too. It's really it's it's it makes this it makes this whole episode kind of just like a fun like Indiana Jones meets um, Uncharted. Um, <laughs> I haven't aspect. seen Uncharted yet. I want to see. Uncharted. Uh, well, I know I I'm I 
Oh, we don't talk about. I'm not going to talk about the movie. Uh, I want to the video game, the series. Oh, I, yeah, I also haven't played the video game, but the video game. Hey, you have a PS5 now, so you can get the whole series. Okay, we have to talk about PS5 later and like all of the dark shit I had to do just to score PS5. How is it like a year later? PS5s are impossible it's to get. Two years and two years. Still <laughs> to get. I'm like, I still think it's 2021. Okay, but. I agree with you. I think it had that Indiana Jones discoverability quality of the episode. And I think Grant becoming very useful. In many ways, I feel like Grant is the heart of, of the story. Mm-hmm. And when he was here, like, oh, my God, Alexander the Great right here. Wait, he was a voice for Amit. A voice. And then he has to stick his hand in his throat, like Alexander the Great's throat, to pull out. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know when he pulled out like a figurine like, of, <laughs> uh, of Amit. Is it a, a figurine of Amit? I think so. I can't remember. For some reason, I didn't write that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little lost with the plot here. I, I get what's go- kind of going on. They want to resurrect Amit because she is going to come and she's going to. She's um, going to ju- report. Yeah. The shit. Out Civil of the War 2. <laughs> yeah. Civil War 2. Just going to. Yeah. That's a more applicable. <laughs> Speaking of Civil War 2. That's a far more applicable one now. Sorry. I just wanted Thank to you. bring it back full circle with that terrible event. Oh, my God. Uh, so she wants to Civil War 2 this entire planet and Khonshu at all. They want to stop this because Kanchu is more has has more the perspective that you judge people on their crimes afterwards. Mm-hmm, basically, okay. yeah. So, so I, I listen. I thought that was a really cute scene. I thought it was hysterical. Again, Oscar Isaac is just a level pulls out the figurine and. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's where I had. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, like, no, I said and, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's it. I have nothing else. <laughs> well, and now we have this weird love triangle going on between Layla, Grant, and Spectre, which is weird. Can you, okay, can you explain to me? So I'm not, I'm trying to figure out, if you remember last episode, I was trying to figure out like the origin story of, of their romance. So, so he he's born Mark, and then obviously he dies and Kanchu resurrects him. And, and sometime within his own personal history, he, he, he has alters. Now, did Mark just take over the body and then go off, met Layla, got married, and then, and then the Stephen altar takes, uh, takes the body and then moved, moved away I, I'm sort of confused. Like, is, it, has it been streamlined yet? Because I'm sort of nodding here. Because in this episode, it read to me that Layla was aware of the altar. But when we last saw it, I felt like she wasn't aware. It's confusing. Um, I know they're going to be... I've seen rumors that next episode's going to dive deep into okay. his origin story and, like, all that stuff. I'm not 100% sure if that's true but that's probably where you're going to get your answers okay what i think is what what's weird in my opinion speaking of like his sort of origin story well more of layla's origin it's exactly like marlene from the comics do you know marlene at all no i don't tell me okay so that that that's mark's love interest in the comics so what i'm really confused with is why did they create an entirely new character and gave layla that existing origin story even though it's from an actual character in the comics like why didn't they like i don't like i'm just confused on why layla's like i had a feeling that layla was marlene 
Mm. And now they just confirmed it this episode. I'm just don't know why they created a whole new character. It doesn't bug bug me. It's just I just find it they weird. Do they do that a lot. They always like, do the misdirect. Like I mean, MJ, I guess yeah. I guess it's just for misdirect and stuff. MJ being emblematic of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now now she's Michelle it took them, Watson. Well, because it took them three uh, three movies to mention Watson. So yeah. So I'm like yeah. I and they and they did the misdirect also with Agatha with Agnes. You know, I so guess so. This is her mo. I I I do you know. I agree with you. We're on the same page. Just, just, just say who it is. You know, at this point, I, I understand the need for secrecy, but mm-hmm. I also think it creates like this big, convoluted situation. But you know, with someone like Michelle Jones, I wonder if it, it was a rights thing that they couldn't use Mary Jane's name. Why that's what I, just say, see, that's what I always thought too. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just say Mary Jane Watson? Like you know, because well, like Sony can be fucking greedy yeah (laughs) i hope Um, what ends up happening is that mary jane becomes like a stage name like if she goes on to be a reporter or a writer you know i could kind of see that yeah i I I could honestly see them going so i don't know i mean i could see them honestly going like with the ps4 route yeah because they already totally did i mean with aunt may dying well, the one thing about the PS4 route that I'm going to say, and I know that this is a sidebar, but I have to make my peace with this. Yeah, we're totally am, off topic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm such a Gwen Stacy stand that I feel Mary Jane in the PS4 game should have been Gwen Stacy. But anyways. No, it doesn't make sense because he was already Spider-Man for eight years. It doesn't matter. It's fine. This is a new universe with a new <laughs> history. And, and then you hey, have you it in the might get background. Gwen Stacy in the movies, though. You know? know. You know, I love Gwen Stacy. I can't. I know. I know. Anyways, I know. Continuing on to Moon Knight. There's not a lot of action with this, which I'm totally okay with because this gave us like the really more adventure side of everything. I think what made up for it was the horror and the adventure in this. I thought that they really turned up that horror in this episode really well that I do not think would be suitable for kids watching this. Really? Okay. You know what? Fair. So I was Okay, have you ever played The Last of Us? No, I haven't. Okay, so I know the the game though. Okay, so in The Last of Us, there are these zombies called clickers. Clickers use echolocation because they can't see. And so they do that clicking <laughs> noise to figure out where things are. And ha- almost like how Daredevil kind of uses uh, his echolocation, like his radar sense and everything. But like these mummies and stuff use that in this episode. And it freaked me the fuck out. Okay. So first of all, I, I just have to say, I myself just portrayed a zombie recently in an I know film. you were the so, most handsome zombie I've ever stop seen. Stop it. I'll take that. So I'm not afraid <laughs> of zombies. Just to say, just, just to put it out I there. was a zombie. I was a so. zombie. <laughs> and by the way, it's a lot of physical work to be a zombie. Just like props to that actor who was playing this zombie demon. Because like, I thought I was going to throw up while I was like doing the motion for a zombie, I was like, I need a break. <laughs> like literally everyone's looking, this is like an indie film and everyone's looking at me like, uh, okay. But um, I agree. I thought it was scary. I wasn't terrified. I, I don't, I like horror. I'm not easily scared. Jeff, my husband was terrified. He thought it was. It was the sound design. Yeah. I think that sold fair. it. I could, I, I watch, I don't have a TV at my apartment or at least one that's able to watch things on like stream and stuff. Mm-hmm. But so I usually watch stuff on my computer through my headphones and the sound design I think was spot on is it, it really sold I think just the grotesque and horrorness of the, of what they were going for like with the mummy 
I'm, I'm going to say they're mummies. I don't really know entirely what they are, but they were taking out that guy's guts. Yeah, he like, was mummifying. Like, the demon was mummifying yeah. people. That is genuinely terrible. It harkens back to like when television shows actually did horror right, like Supernatural, those first couple seasons. Like they, some of those monsters were genuinely terrifying. American Horror Story, as well as even Buffy. We don't get this. Even level Doctor Who, too. Yeah, we don't get that level, that Doctor Who, Buffy level horror on TV anymore, where it's a genuinely terrifying baddie and Mm -hmm. i think they nailed it here they get well yeah and with me being an audio engineer and producer and stuff or at least have a concentration to it i love the sound design in it it just shows how important it is to storytelling and how it can just just like the slightest bit can just make you like shiver in your chair and stuff well i mean let's think of like horror movie 101 what made jaws so terrifying was the the music you oh yeah knew jaws was Williams. coming yeah you went down at nana i'm sorry i have no musical <laughs> aspect of me but you uh, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you but that's why that's why it was terrifying because you knew and like again even going a step further beyond music you're talking about mm-hmm. the actual sound design itself that like shins like sends shivers down people's spines so yeah i agree mm. okay so we have that and now let's get into the ending I have so many feels on this ending. So many twists and turns. <laughs> Confuse the fuck out of anybody watching this show. But it... Okay. It, it's... Okay. I feel like this episode dragged on a little bit too long. It just I a agree. little bit. But this ending totally saved that. Too. Oh, I agree. I agree. I don't know if I was necessarily confused. I sort of understood what was happening because they've done a similar situation like this in United States of Terra, which was a show that dealt with dissociative identity disorder mm-hmm. in Overland Park, Kansas. And Tony Collette played Tara. And it was, I know I mentioned it last episode. Yeah, I was just about to say that. You just, you talked about that last. Brie episode. Larson was on it too. Brie Larson oh, shit, really? played Kate, her daughter. It, it's a little bubblegummy, but I think it did bring the conversation about DID into like a cultural like front. But in it, she has a meeting with all of her different alters and it's in her mindscape. And mm-hmm. she sort of writes a contract with them. And it was, it was more about the, in terms of that story. I don't know if this is true for real life, but in terms of the United States of Terror story, it was all about unifying the different personas and coming together to agree on things. They also did something similar in Charmed in season four, where Piper gets trapped in her mind and she's in an institute and she's trying to escape and sort of the people in her life are patients in there. So I kind of got it. He got shot and maybe you had a different interpretation, but the way I took it is he got shot and then he went into his head. And that's why he was able to marry, you know, or not marry, but like join up with Stephen and Mark. And then we have the third tomb there who is obvious. I, I'm assuming Jake or uh, Jack Lockley. Jack, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> like, I'm a new Moon Knight stand. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of I kind of like what they were doing, that it was a very internal struggle. Yeah, it's so as soon as I saw this, as soon as this whole ending came up, I immediately started thinking of Jeff Lemire's run. Like right away, I, if you should read that, it's only fourteen issues and it's very good. Um, so I like so many different questions started going through my head. It's like, so is this real? Like you said, I like the theory of that he's in his own head and he's like um, 
now he's going to be basically teaming up with all three of his um, identities and stuff. Um, it's like we get it sort of like a reframe of his mental illness and everything. Maybe this is uh, sort of Mark battling uh, Arthur in Arthur's own reality. Yeah. Or I something. Can, I don't know. I, I thought Arthur was just an apparition of his imagination and, and sort of just symbolic. I mean, look, here's another thing I'm going to say the show has done really well. The symbolism. Mm-hmm. of people with mental disorders who are being gaslit and aren't being dignified and, and don't have the appropriate space to have their voice heard. And I thought we saw that with Arthur in that scene where Arthur was being a little arrogant, you know, psychologist who, you know, who, who was discrediting the patient there. I thought like, and coupled with the last week's episode, I thought that was very, very telling. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think this is in his head and I think this is him grappling with a lot of trauma and sort of closing ranks with his different alters, which again was something that was on United States of Tara. This is how, which is how her, her psychologist in the, or her professor turned, you know, psychologist referred to Tara. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I listen, I was thinking about this this morning and how we were going to talk. I texted you saying I have a lot of feels on Moon Knight. Regardless of how I feel like what they do really good and what they're doing really bad, I have to tell you, I want to give Marvel the appropriate credit for getting really good actors, really nailing the symbolism, and telling a story that is very different from the rest of the MCU. I mean, truly is different. And nailing it, too. Okay. What was that ending? (laughs) Because I'm confused by the ending. Was that Amit? Who, the hippo? Yeah, the hippo. No, the hippo is not Amit. I did actually some internet searching to like see if I could find like Egyptian sort of gods. And I think Taret or something is she's the Egyptian goddess of childbirth. Okay. And so I don't know how that's how she'll play in the uh, show. Um, She was only briefly mentioned, I think, in episode one when like they were just talking about Egyptian gods and stuff. Or like I love that you caught that. Yeah, I'm pretty thorough. <laughs> it's almost like you have a comic book podcast where you talk about comic books. It's a good thing I do. <laughs> and a comic book radio show. Like I said, I eat, breathe, and sleep comic books. But we know very little about this, and she's never appeared in the comics. So Okay, but like their reaction, though, at the end, I was like, okay, like if a hippo came out of nowhere and was just like, Hi, like it, like how adorable she said it. I wouldn't scream. I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> slow clap. I was surprised to see Mark scream, honestly. Yeah. Well, I feel like some of the characterization with Mark is a little inconsistent for me as just a casual viewer. Mm-hmm. Because, because like even like with everything that Jack had done in the previous episode, Mark seemed like, oh shit, like what was that? Like freaked out himself. I'm like, dude, like how many people have you murdered in the in the second episode alone? That that seems like it was likely you, you know, if we didn't know any better. Like the the handiwork is still there. But yeah, in this one where he's screaming, I was like, why wouldn't he just be like that? But does that mean that there is like maybe Jack is an avatar for another Egyptian deity and that there's more than just Khonshu in his head or in the I comics, don't know. In the comics Lockley doesn't 
Well, yeah. Well, in the comics, luckily, I don't think he has. I'm starting to, I don't know. You're bringing up some good things because they always change things up from what the comics are. Because, but I when know I they... lack in my Moon Knight <laughs> history, I make up for being over analytical about things. <laughs> it's all good, <laughs> <laughs> as you know all too well. Yeah. Well, you left me speechless because I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you spot all the Easter eggs in the mental hospital? The Easter eggs were pretty interesting and kind of fun to spot out. So, like, you have, of course, Stephen Grant in that Tomb Buster TV oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the golden statue man, he was doing, he was leading the bingo. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, Donna, she's holding some sort of plushie and, and she's like in a hospital bed further to the point that Donna is a big bad of the series. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cops that we saw earlier that, um, uh, I think in episode two, um, they're basically the ones that are guiding him around the mental hospital. What else? There's a drawing of Khonshu, of course, and then you have Layla eating marshmallows, Haro's sandals, and then the cane. That's the only ones I was able to point out. So we also see the Marvel Legends Moon Knight, which, you know, I'm like, yes, Marvel Legends. The Stephen Grant thing is really interesting to me because, again, to reference United States of Terra, like some of the altars that were inside of her were based off of people she knew either in life or had read a book about. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious did this confirm that Steven is inspired by this television show that he may have watched as a child or is this just exclusively in his mind just happens to be an apparition of a television show? I'm really curious if like, he kind of built this to kind of like, because maybe there is a sort of aspect when he like watched this show that he loves adventure maybe that's why he was in egypt and sort of became a mercenary because he loves adventure and stuff and so maybe he created steven to kind of keep that sort of aspect to himself or like still have that aspect within himself you know right because i mean to your point which you said so so beautifully earlier in this episode was that when steven gets to the tomb of alexander the great he's like a fanboy like he's having so much fun and i wonder if little mark saw Stephen Grant being such a fun adventurer on TV and really enjoying his work that he sort of embraced that mm-hmm. when he was, you know, when he was dealing with his trauma and that's how the Stephen persona sort of came to be. I'm curious. I love it. I, I mean, I have to tell you something. I think this scene really did make me want more out of like Mark, Stevens, Jack, their history and, and, and sort of how everything came to be. Well, and I love all the inspiration they took from Lemire and Greg Smallwood's run in just this fi- these last 15 minutes. I hope uh, the Golden Statue Man, I hope he actually plays a bigger role, kind of like how he does in the comics. Okay. No, but... it'd be no, 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 no cool. but I didn't know he was an actual like living statue until <laughs> until we recorded. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Go there he is um, without all of his golden statueness, <laughs> without all the golden paint. Anyway, uh, anyway, <laughs> in the Lemire run, he plays a pretty good role. In the Lemire and Greg Smallwood run, he plays pretty a, like a pretty important supporting cast member and stuff. He kind of like helps guides him out of the mental hospital and stuff. Great, I'm here for it. I'm really, I'm really excited. Listen, next episode can't get here soon enough. Yes, I am very excited. I was so surprised and delighted and entertained throughout this entire episode.
I and was, I love how much it changed things up for the last 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it went somewhere. It went somewhere else. The only, I had to rewatch the episode. I, I watched it last night when I got home from my flight and I have to rewatch it scene by scene. But the only thing that Ooh. I kind of like took note that I was like, uh, really was when he got shot twice and he falls off and he hits the water. It's a pretty shallow water. And that was a pretty big fall. And that's like, that's like stone that his head is yeah up i was thinking like i was thinking like um he could have like busted his head open right I, and like i understand that like he has supernatural abilities because of conchu but not I'm anymore because yeah they're no longer there because yeah he, he's pretty vulnerable now so he, but i was like dude his head just smacked stone like it would crack open and he'd just be dead period i wonder mm. if that's going to be addressed in next issue i mean listen it would have been really graphic to show i mean to what your point about it's not for kids that would have been definitely not but that's the only thing that took me out of this episode where i was like ah like why didn't someone like say because again it was a, even if i fell right now head first on stone that's gonna hurt that's oh, gonna be yeah. like i mean like and i'm sitting down so i can imagine like what like six feet up he fell something like that a little bit more than six feet his head is going to crack open. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't, though. <laughs> I know. Oscar Isaac's so cute, so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't bust that pretty face. Well, no, you would have busted his back of the head, so he would have been all right. still, everything. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> we just look at him, like, we'll just, like, look at him face first. Well, on that note... <laughs> this is a great episode. I'm excited for the next episode. I can't wait. I can't wait. Cool. Do we have anything coming up that we want to talk about? Hopefully more interviews, hopefully more comic book discussions. If there's anything particular that you guys want us to talk about, please hit us up on Instagram at masters of comic books and just, Oh, we also have a discord yesterday or earlier this week. I had someone that wanted to join the discord for the first time in like months. I was like, I forgot that was even a thing. I deleted the app. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But remember when I was trying to set up the discord and I was, I think I was like writing notes for one of my gigs at, um, at a bar in my neighborhood. And I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And I didn't want to have never wanted to strangle you more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can think of other times, but <laughs> actually, yeah. <laughs> well, too many but we love each other this we is a great you. relationship <laughs> it's it's a very healthy codependent relationship with hey we books. we have very long discussions and we we are very passionate people but that's just because yeah. we love what we do we do we very much do so discord is still active i'm not part of it that's cool cole's managing it yeah all me <laughs> 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 i'm on power of x-men guys can hit us up there for even geekier conversations about the X-Men. Yeah, we cover everything, but Power of X-Men has everything we need to know about X-Men. Paul's knowledge is so much more vast than mine is. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, with Moon Knight, I'm just like Oscar Isaac is hot. So <laughs> you are you are well-rounded, my friend. Yeah, well, if you guys want some good comic book recommendations with Moon Knight, read Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood's run. Read Jed McKay and Alessandro Capucino's uh, run. That's also great. Um, Bendis and Maleev's run is okay. It, yeah, I, I don't want to get into it. It just seems out of character. It's not a bad. It's entertaining, but it's out of character for Moon Knight. 
And if you want to listen to a really great episode, check out our interview with Jed McKay, which was last week. Yes, it was a spectacular interview. And if you want to get insight of how Jed McKay crafts his comics, how he came into comics and all everything else, please check out that interview. It's a great interview. We discuss Moon Knight, Black Cat and Strange. Yes. So, yeah, that's everything. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to your podcast because it definitely supports the channel. And if you want to listen to us geek out more, please rate and review us. Mm-hmm.